0: Um, right, the evening and nighttime. Well, we tend to think of the evening and nighttime as, as a different kind of zone. And um, as this top quote says, we have a lot of mythologies and ideas about the night time as being very, very different from the daytime. And I suppose what the bottom quote is also trying to say is that we have different attitudes towards the type of behaviours that we might accept in the evening and at night rather than in the daytime. So um, as Melbin who wrote about the night a very long time ago now, um, some of these mythologies are not entirely accurate and So as well as the night being configured as something that's a bit scary, something that's a bit dangerous, something where anything might happen, what we've found increasingly over the last um, decade is that it's also a time zone in which the everyday is beginning to penetrate further so that we have more normal activities happening in the evening um, for example shopping, um, we have, uh, I don't have any figures, we've desperately been trying to find out figures for how many shops are open later at night and how many of these Express Metro stores there are. We can't find any but definitely we all know that that's a trend. We also know that more men are shopping, that um, there's more shopping visits happening later and also that the number of trips that men and women take for leisure and entertainment is evening up so that we have more women coming out in the evening and at night. And some of this is partly due to changes in work patterns and um, this um, was presaged with the Comedia report, which was done 20 years ago. Um, Thought that there would be enormous changes because of the switch to things like 24-hour call centres and to more 24-hour services. It hasn't quite happened, but nevertheless, we find now that there's, what, 10% of UK, Brits... Uh, of working age actually start work after six o'clock at night. I mean that is quite a thought and that's not counting the number of people who might start work earlier and then work through the evening and later on. So the evening and night times, the sort of boundaries that we see between night and day are beginning to blur somewhat. and. As I said, the nighttime has become less of an exclusive area in terms of gender, that we have see more women in play, paid employment. Um, up till the last decade, um, well, sorry, the last, up till 2008 and the financial crash, of course, everybody was getting richer. So there was more disposable income. Um, more women, more younger women in employment, more money to spend, also a greater drive to reorganize domesticity, so um, more going out, more going out for meals, and um, as the last point says, the pub chain Wetherspoons actually makes more money out of food now than it does out of selling drink. So a, a real sort of growth of drink attainment and hospitality. So that's happening as a background but a lot of the discussion has been about this moral, is it a moral panic? is one of the questions you ask about um, what is happening to town and city centres and medium-sized towns and smaller city centres and here's the headline that we uh, had last week with uh, David Cameron's going to take action about it so um, local communities um, can, you know, sort of feel uh, that he's looking after them. Um, And is it a moral panic? Should we be concerned about the kind of changes that are happening in town and city centres with an increase in alcohol-related leisure and entertainment? And the answer is, well, maybe partially yes there has been an increase in alcohol consumption amongst the younger age groups but more generally in society um, over the last um, these figures go from um, you know over a decade it is beginning to tail off now but even so Britain has the highest number of binge drinkers, highest proportion of youthful binge drinkers in the European Union even now. And the number of younger women who are drinking to excess, which um, for women is 14 units a week um, and one unit, well probably one of those glasses of wine is two units. (laughs) So um, it's also continuing to rise. So there is a health problem associated with the rise in the numbers of um, licensed premises that have been opening up um, and the changes in, in drinking cultures. And the health issues are quite severe, we heard um, Balance Northeast a few months ago talking about the huge rise in liver disease, young people who they've never seen before coming in with cirrhosis of the liver, cancers, diabetes Uh, All of these are alcohol-related. So, I mean, there are serious consequences to consuming too much alcohol. And there's a concern about where it's happening. I'm sorry, the little movie I had um, doesn't work. But um, what we're seeing in town and city centres is what um, Mintel, the market research group, has called youth-dominated or youth-orientated ghettos, um, with venues whose target audience is towards this demographic of basically sort of 18, 25, 30. So in fact the reach is beginning to get older. Um, And ODPM research has um, found that over 40-year-olds and over 50-year-olds tend to feel excluded from town centres, and there's also these type of ghettos, and there's also a lot of high-volume vertical drinking, and there should have been. If I'd had the um, soundtrack, you also get, you know, the whole um, sort of ambience of loud music, crowds, bustle, and so on. And sometimes the noise, as I'm sure we're we'll here later, can be very loud indeed. This is a graph that we compiled from some um, research that we did in Soho a long time ago now, it's 2002. And we used um, Westminster City Council's noise recorders and we found that um, when they were p- placed on a windowsill outside, outside a nightclub, the sound levels were... Um, as high as a pneumatic drill at 1 and 2 a.m. in the morning so very very high um, sets of decibel levels and above noise limiters and we measured things like traffic flow and we found that um, The amount of traffic going down Old Compton Street at 3 a.m. in the morning was equivalent or even higher than that at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. So you get the phenomena of traffic congestion happening late at night. So um, one thing that always comes up when I do these talks is somebody in the audience says, what is it about Britain? Why are we, you know, such binge drinkers? And the answer is, well, yes, we are, but it's not specific. This is not a pattern or a problem that's necessarily specific to Britain. Um, I went on a trip to Barcelona um, in doing research for the book, and discovered there that in our um, urban designer's favorite quarter of Grathia, um this had been uh, overrun by the number of bars, late night bars and for those who um, like me were avid followers of Jan gale he writes about the Plaza del Sol and what a wonderful place it is and how it's been made over to be this wonderful convivial place which it is in the daytime but for the residents who lived around it they found the noise from the bars absolutely unsupportable Um, and the problem in Spain was also that they had illegal developments of bars and in 2004 the owner of the El Portet um, bar restaurant got put in jail because he transgressed all the noise um, regulations. So this is and in 2003 Barcelona City Council said we can't cope with the expansion of these late night bars throughout the city we are just not allowing any more to open full stop for a while and you know, quite a lot closed down and this is only you know changed over, uh, they're starting to allow and sell licenses again so it's not a British problem it is a pattern of consumption that is European wide and maybe elsewhere And of course there are other impacts such as crime and disorder, uh, violent crime um, and incidents that happen around licensed premises and also problems with the interaction between pedestrians and the kind of traffic jams we were talking about with, um, um, it's an old statistic now, but um, three-quarters of pedestrians killed at night would be over the legal limit to, to, to drive. So it's a problem of people staggering out of bars and straight in front of cars. So what, why should we be concerned about this as people interested in the built environment? You know, I mean, we might say this is all about um, social patterns that we've got absolutely no control over. Um, well, there are things we can do in terms of the planning system. While the 2003 Licensing Act was going through, a series of organisations lobbied to um, get greater greater controls over the types of licensed premises that um, would be allowed and so we now have the distinction between different use class orders. Um, The Licensing Act itself, by allowing premises to open later, hoped to produce a more relaxed drinking culture in the evening and nighttime economy. Um, But in fact, all the changes that happened before the Act was passed in 2005, and in fact the um, research by um, various people after the Act found that there had been very little change once the Act had passed because most of the premises that were opening later and had had previously done it under the other old legislation stayed the same but there was a slight increase in the number of offences that were taking place between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning so um, and there were sort of patchy responses in different A&E departments. Then we also have to think about the locations of clusters of what Westminster calls stress areas. Newcastle also call it, their city centre a stress area where you get super concentrations of late-night bars and um, these kind of venues. And you know, various academics have got these kind of um, wonderful uh, names for them uh, you know, um, designated zones of patterned liminality I rather like, <laughs> liminalities, is where the, it means where the normal rules of behavior are suspended and this is uh, a map uh, kindly donated again by Westminster City Council and they say VAP means violence against the person so it's logging the incidents where violence against the person happens most and you can see they're related to specific zones and the blue lines are their stress areas. And then you can break it down even further you can start looking at the premises by type, again this is violence in and around premises and you can see nightclubs and discos have a lot more violence around them, so it makes you think. Well, actually, we might start looking at these type of premises in more detail, and about their location, and about how we handle those, and where they're located. Flashpoints for violence are cues for what we might call scarce resources: taxes, fast food, bus queues, and. Um, congestion of people spilling out on the street, density of people. Um, This lower one is actually a van outside a major club in Newmarket, of all places, where um, this uh, 1,500 customer nightclub, when it spills out, there's violence outside the burger van when it opens up, and that's parked on private land, so not much anybody can do about that. And... um, uh, Some of you may have seen this before but it's uh, it's so sort of entertaining. It's just trying to make the point that it's not only the clash between people coming out of pubs and clubs but they also can meet um, people coming from other types of venues and this is when the theatres come out in um, Soho. So you get different groups of people milling around, this is time-lapse video, and this is where, you know, this is an urban situation that really has to be managed. So, um, how how do I stop it? (laughs) And on to the next one. So, um, we may hear that there's all sorts of problems. This was cited as very good practice, the South Shoreditch Supplementary Planning Guidance. Um, because it, it tied up planning and licensing and also went beyond some of, um, uh, some, with some innovative policies about um, restricting venues, about where they might be, and where you could restrict terminal hours and imposing lots of different conditions but basically trying to get planning and licensing legislation to work together which was the aim of the licensing act 2003 and I uh, for the last couple of years we don't do it anymore we've been teaching um, licensing officers on an institute of licensing course and they I ask them have you ever met anybody from your planning department they say no (laughs) they never have (laughs) uh, Ditto when I talk to um, any planning officers I teach. There's a similar response. The two systems are not working together, yet they're dealing with the same premises and the same sets of problems. And if the planning departments aren't, well, what's happening to the urban designers within those planning departments? Um, you know, I think there is a lot to be done. This is an example... And it's a complicated issue. This is an example from Norwich where they had a, um, it was a mixed priority route um, uh, um, scheme um, that the Department for Transport partially funded. Um, There's a road you would think that would be a very good place for lots of late-night venues. Above level are solicitors offices so no clash with residents or little clash with residents. Um, Lots of uh, cafes, restaurants, bars that open late nights near the station, walking distance to the station, so there's some transport. And so they did things like rephase the traffic light because of the the number of accidents that are occurring, reconfigured where the taxi ranks were, uh, widened the pavements to reduce the possibility of congestion. But I showed this slide to some of my students, and there happened to be a planning officer from Norwich there, and she said, oh my God, we had a stabbing there six months ago. (laughs) You know, it's like you make these measures, they become successful, therefore more and more licensees want to move in, you get a whole dynamic. And it's how do you control that dynamic? There's um, provision in the Act for cumulative impact zones. Phil Hadfield's research has found that these are not being operated very well. So... Issues of control are really important. Then we're finding new typologies coming up. um, New all-in-one entertainment buildings. Um, There's two that I know about uh, in major cities and you get bars, restaurants, cinemas, dance bars, casinos. Interesting because you're, you know, sort of enclosing any possible issues. But then same issues as shopping malls. What happens to the street? Where are the entrances located? What happens when, you know, not in the night time, what happens to these places? Should we be encouraging these? Should we be um, encouraging more of them? And um, how do we deal with any sort of blank walls around them? If not, are the solution um, this is a rather a sort of dire place out on the A40 Premier in and a place next to it with loads of um, bars and clubs. You might say, OK, you're removing a potential source of nuisance, but is this the kind of development we want to see? I would think not. <laughs> so, uh, and also it raises the issue of how do we think about transport in relationship to the late night. We did some consultancy work in Maidstone and there, there were complaints from people that they'd come in want to go for a nice evening out, maybe want to drink um, the car parks were massively expensive if you didn't pick up your car before 8.30 in the morning so you might drive in in your car leave your, sensibly leave your car in the car park then you know, you, you might not be able to collect it in the morning and then you'd be hit with this massive parking lot so if you want to try and attract people in and make a more sort of convivial town centre. Maybe we ought to think about how we get people in and out in uh, a more logical way. So, final thoughts. Um, I'd recommend integrating planning and licensing across the whole local authority area, not just in town centres because of the dynamism of hospitality and entertainment. There's new centres opening up in all sorts of places. Maybe and really change our thoughts about the evening and the night. It's also a place where a time zone in which boundaries are being blurred and will be increasingly more. And so it's a place for shopping, for leisure, uh, as well as for leisure. I think we have a job to do in modelling the pedestrian experience how, and also routes to and from car parks, transport hubs, um, how we manage that. And if you're trying to attract a wider demographic into a town centre, do you really want people who aren't part of the sort of heavy drinking crowd to have to walk through a heavy drinking crowd to get to where they want to go. Is, you know, so really sort of trying to model how we think places will be in control it more. And also consider the groupings of different styles of eating and drinking because we found in our research for the Civic Trust that's basically what most people want to do. They want to come out, walk around eat and drink in different styles, but do they necessarily all want to be in precisely the same streets is one of the issues I think we need to think about. So in a way I'm kind of arguing for mini ghettos, but I think this is one of the issues that um, we need to debate. Thanks.